We can't say it enough that Jesus loves you, but we need to say it anyway. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose in this world and in you and through you. You are here for a reason. You have a purpose. You are here because God designed you. Did you know that? (laughs) He formed you in your mother's womb. It doesn't matter what your mother was thinking and what your father was thinking because God overrode them, right? Tony's got a funny story about that. <laughs> Tony says he was made in a, in a hotel, in a motel. It doesn't matter what the world thought was happening. God formed you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He put his DNA into you and we just, we win that Sin nature comes off of us, right, by accepting Christ and letting him do the work in us, then that DNA starts coming to life, doesn't it? It starts coming out of us. And we just need to let it out more and more and more. I want you to say with me, it's not enough. We need more of God. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need more of his presence. Do not get satisfied. Do not get settled. You know what happens when we settle? We die. That's it. We need to keep moving. My grandfather was very fortunate to live till 93, which is amazing, but he would tell you, if he was still alive, that the reason he had lived that long, and and my uh, my great-grandfather the same, but they were still chopping wood at 90, (laughs) still moving. He was still driving his golf cart back to the pond and just kept moving. Because that's really the key to stay alive, is you have to keep moving. Otherwise, the body just does what it does, starts breaking down. We are the same spiritually. Did you know that? So much. You know, God gives us, gave us creation. He gave us, I've been speaking in the last weeks of the picture of marriage. He gave us the picture of children. He gave us so many pictures, real life stuff that we can see with our eyes and understand in our heart to show us a picture of his kingdom and a picture of how he works and what he expects. And so the body is also uh, a spiritual principle. We are called the body of Christ. And there is also a body of the world. There is a worldly, fleshly body, and there is a kingdom spirit body that is submitted to Christ. And you can choose which body you want to be a part of. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that were supposed to know the law uh, that was pointing to Christ, but instead it was just religion and just law, and they missed him. And Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. There are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of this world. And what happens is, is, and I've been painting this picture many times already in this church, so this is just review, but without Christ, you are already dead. It's not, we're going to die one day. You are dead without Christ. We come to life with him. So under Satan's kingdom in this world is death. But we shed off the flesh. We cleave to Christ. We cleave ourselves to him. And we come to life. Amen. And who experienced that moment with him? And the key is we need to keep experiencing that. I'm not talking about re-getting saved. 
times. Many times we centralize the entire gospel at salvation, and that's really off. Salvation was the most important, ready? First step. (laughs) It was the most and only first step that you can do. But we are not really supposed to be centralized around salvation. That was something that Jesus did freely for us, and we receive it just as the disciples taught us, just as um, they then taught us uh, the growing of the church, the first church, the beginning church, Acts Church, New Testament. We can see the growing of that. But it wasn't just salvation. In fact, we see later on in the word that they said, let's move on from this mother's milk, so to speak, right? Let's start eating some real meat. You know, baptism, being raised from the dead, <laughs> you know, all, all these normal things that we experience all the time being Christians, right? Let's keep progressing. And the thing is, as a believer, is that we have come to life and we must stay close to Christ. We must keep moving in him to stay alive. Okay, so salvation was nothing you could earn. You cannot work for it, and yet you decided to accept him. It's nothing that you can work to gain, and yet he made you make the choice to receive him. He will not force you to continue. I've said a million times, it won't be my last, that he compels you. (laughs) Jesus has a way of compelling you to continue, but he does not force you. And many have actually walked away completely. They have walked away. They have left the faith. They left God. It's really so shocking for me when I hear stories of those that loved God, that walked with him and walked away. It's a very shocking thing for me still. I'd never get used to that. But it happens all the time. And I believe that I started praying as a youth. I started praying, Lord, don't let me get off. And that should be all of our prayers. Because I had seen it so many times. And if you've been a believer, you have seen it as well. And if you're just beginning your faith, you're going to see it. It's part of our faith. Don't let it deter your faith. But it is part of the faith we're in. There is a battle. There is a war going on. There are two worlds, and there are two kingdoms, and they are warring for your soul. And if you don't believe it, the greatest tactic a foreign army could do is not greatest weaponry. It's not the best ground troops. It's not the best missiles. It's not the best defense system. The greatest tactic they could do at all is that we're not your enemy. Come on. We're not your enemy. Satan wants you to think, I'm not your enemy. The world's not your enemy. Listen, we need to love the people in the world, but don't think that system that they're a part of. Jesus loved the person. He didn't love the system they were in. He loved the person. He didn't love the sin that had them, but he loved the person. You need to love the people, but the system, this world is your enemy. Everything in this world, listen, you drive down Route 9 and the billboards, the, uh, the food, I mean, everything kills you. Did you realize that? You know what's so frustrating for me is I try to, uh, I try to eat pretty healthy, not necessarily nature's pantry healthy. But I really, one of the things I try to do is drink healthy, 
because that's such a great way to cut out so many junk calories. So I just try to drink water or seltzers, things like that. You know how many times I just go into a deli out working and it's all junk. They have coolers that are 10 feet long and it's junk, 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 junk. Everything in this world is junk, except for what God made, water. <laughs> you know, they can package it in bottles and things, but the purity of God, right? The world wants, the reason, listen, supply and demand. The reason that they have 10 feet of junk is because the majority of people want that. God wants to preserve us, and the only way to do it is to eat and drink healthy, stay in Him, stay close to Him. And that's what I want to preach about today. I want you to look at the book of Joshua, chapter 1, and verse 1, and then I'm going to bring you just kind of review on what we're talking about here in Joshua, what's happening here. It says, Joshua 1, 1 After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I just want to just review Most of you know this story, but let's just review very quickly what's happening here. Moses led the people out of Egypt, right? He was obedient to God, submitted to God. He had his own story. We all have our own story, but outside of his own personal story, God used him, right? Moses still had to deal with God. Moses still had to deal with things with God, but ultimately twofold things are happening all the time. God also wanted to use Moses, and he did. And Moses was faithful to do what God asked him to do. He brought the people out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, which was supposed to be a temporary, was supposed to just to get them. It was a journey to get them to the promise. He was trying to bring them by God's hand to the promise. That was the purpose. And we could argue about how long this trip should have taken. I've heard all kinds of commentaries. The point is that it could have taken 10 days, and it took 40 years. So whether you think it should have taken a year or two years or five days or whatever, it wasn't supposed to take 40 years. That was a result of human, human, human decisions, human reasoning. Come on, human reasoning gets you trapped You know that. Human reasoning gets you trapped in a wilderness. Moses introduced them to the glory of God. Moses introduced them to the law of God. Moses introduced them to the provision of God. God gave them everything they needed. They were not in the promise, and they were in a place because of disobedience And yet, the Bible says that their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. Their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. All you fashion freaks would be disappointed. I don't think I'd want to wear the same thing for 40 years. Although our grandparents did. (laughs) We hit a point. They say you hit a point, then you just, that's what you wear for the rest of your life. Right? So they all... Every generation, these look the same, right? So maybe that's just how it is. Maybe we can't help it, 
right here in the wilderness. It was already set in stone. That's what happens. The last 40 years of your life, you wear the same thing. <laughs> but they wear the same clothes and it doesn't wear out. Isn't this amazing? God's love and his grace and mercy, even in a place of not, not really the promise. But it really wasn't God's best for them, was it? Where God wanted them was to live in the promise. There was a place in God where God took care of them. He gave them water. He gave them food. He gave them clothing, provide for all their needs. They didn't need anything. Everybody say, they didn't need anything. You know, in God, we don't need anything. Need is so relative. I've been talking about that. It's so relative. We define need. Your body can live without food for, depending on who you ask, three weeks. And obviously, people have gone beyond, but an average of about three weeks, three days without water. And yet, <laughs> as we experienced during our fast, one meal away from food, you know, we're crying like babies. <laughs> I'm starving. Need is relative, and yet God took care of every single need. Do you know, and I don't want to just, I don't want to hang here too long. I want to just keep moving. But just, this is an amazing moment here because it says that he told them to cross the Jordan River, verse 2. And verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. All right, so Moses brought them to a certain place. He sent in spies. Let's go check out the land the Lord's leading us to. They come back with a bad report, right? Who sang the song, whose report will we believe? We will believe the report of the Lord. <laughs> it's an oldie and a goodie. Yes. You just dated yourself. I was there too. And so, but because of the bad report, because of their lack of faith, really, they're basically saying, we don't trust you, God. And God had shown himself so strong. I mean, he took them out of 400 years of slavery. He provided for them. He killed their enemy in the Red Sea behind them. He had a pillar, you know, I mean, and just he led them. He, they had fire to keep them warm and keep and to see at night and, and, a, and a blockade during the day and so on. He just, he gave them water from the rock, gave them food out of the sky. And then they say, oh, I don't believe you, God. God has done the same thing for us. Every single thing that we need has been provided for us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. There is nothing that we need. We just can trust in him and he will give us everything. And yet something happens here, though. It wasn't finished, though. Even though they had God, God wanted more for his people. And we, I want you to look at Joshua, though, with this picture that it's I don't like to divide lines, Old Testament, New Testament, but really we can look that Joshua is really a picture. We can see in New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we get the picture that they have, that Joshua really is the symbol of this world, this life, living in this world, and crossing over into, what is the promise? Is the promise his good stuff for us? What is the promise? The word defines it for us. The promise is himself. The promise is entering into that place with him, entering back into relationship with him, which is what? That's eternal. We don't enter into eternity. We enter into Christ, and Christ is eternal. 
That's why life begins now. And I'm not going to re-preach that. We've been preaching that these last weeks about being in the spirit. We need to live in eternity now because we're living in Christ now. And so this picture here of, of crossing over the Jordan, it says that he told him to cross over. I want you to, and I love even the play on words here, to cross over. You got to cross over. You have to cross over. We got to use the cross. The cross is the bridge. The cross is the gap. And we don't have the time. I encourage you to go read the stories. This is more like Bible study stuff because it really is so many details. But they go into the Jordan River with the ark. I mean, God puts himself in that river and he makes a way. And the Bible says, this is so cool too. Isn't God amazing? He's amazing. And just, you know, the children's church simplicity of God is amazing. But then when you start looking at all the levels and layers and and just the intricacy of God, just the amazingness of God. It's unbelievable. We don't, I could go on for that. You know me. I can just give him so much praise for his universe and this earth and how amazing he is. But he did something amazing, and the word tells us that he pushed the Jordan River back to the town of Adam, and it drained to the Dead Sea. Isn't that incredible? Let's think about this picture just for a minute. Adam, the beginning of man, and death. Isn't that amazing? You know, the word doesn't make, doesn't do things by accident and by mistake. They tell us names on purpose, tell us details on purpose. Jesus has said, did so many miracles that books on the earth couldn't contain him, right? So what we read of him has got to be pretty important <laughs> if there could have been books unlimited about him. So what he said, that's incredible, that he literally, God bridged the gap, the cross the cross, the ark, the law, the life of Christ inside of that river, it pushed, it separated death from its root. It broke the root of life to the place of death and crossed over into the promise. Isn't God amazing? And it says, it says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live for I will be with you. See, the Lord was with them in the wilderness. You know, the Lord was with them. It could have appeared in the flesh that he wasn't with him. But what did he teach them in the wilderness? He taught them this. If you will trust in me, if you will trust in me, I will show you that there is nothing that you need. When God brings you into the promise and he wants to bring you into the promise, do you know that God doesn't want you living in a wilderness? but he uses it. Everybody say he uses it. <laughs> Who's been in a wilderness in your Christianity? <laughs> and who has experienced God? Yes, there you go. Yeah, I would stand up for that too. He uses it every time. Don't let a good wilderness go to waste, God says. Remember that scripture? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's human nature. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. The Lord says, don't let a good wilderness go to waste. He always uses it, but it's really not where he wants you to live. But it gets the flesh, it gets stuff out of us. It just makes us rely on him. But here's what happens. God brings us, he wants to bring us into the promise. The promise is him. The promise is him. Let's look at the picture a little bit further. Moses taught them religion. Religion pointed, though, to what? Everything that Moses taught them pointed to what? It pointed to Jesus. Every single thing that he did pointed to Jesus, but he couldn't 
they couldn't fully get him without the cross, without the blood of Christ. And even Joshua's name, Yeshua, that's Jesus, right? Is Yeshua, that's Joshua. Their names even have a, a very close meaning. Joshua means that Jehovah saves. So that even the name, the picture here is that you have to step over from religion, from the works, from the letter of the law, into the promise. That's where, come let's just get this in our heads. God wants us to live in a place of freedom. He wants you to live in a place where you don't have need, but that everything in your life is overflowing. He brought him into a land flowing with milk and honey. He wants you to live in that place. But do you know, to live in the promise of Christ is harder to live in religion. It's actually harder. Religion's easy. You know why? Religion has a clock. Religion has a schedule. To live in Christ, you have to... I'm not saying that we are not diligent, but sometimes the clock and the schedule and the days and the times get a little bit messed up. <laughs> God can ask anything of you anytime. When you're out of religion, religion says, this is when I go to church. But then Jesus said, you're driving down the road, and Jesus says, now's the time right now. I want to have some intimacy with you right here, right now. That's outside of religion. And I want you to go minister to that person right over there. I want you to go share what you have with that person. And that's just really, I don't have more time to dig into that. That's another sermon. But we see the picture. Religion's easy. Religion, just you go here, and I've punched my ticket. I've done my time. A walking in the promise, though, what happens is when we walk in the promise, it says that they went into a land that was inhabited. And I'm just giving you a bridge because it's like, this is a big story. It's a lot of verses. If you don't believe my interpretation, I encourage you to go read it. Read the verses here in Joshua. Just read through these first chapters. I'm going to read some scriptures here, but I just don't have time to read all the scriptures. I'm giving you super abridged version. But they come into a land that has enemies. They come into a place that God has provision for them in. He has a place of promise, a place of victory in that place. But in that place also is temptation. The greatest temptation is not, is forgetting what you learned in the wilderness. The greatest temptation is grabbing hold of the promise and letting go of God. And it is very easy in our world to step over, to cross over, and we have seen it. This is heartbreaking to me, and this is what I started to say. Even ministers have left the faith because I believe this is what happens. We all go through wildernesses. God teaches us. He shows us provision. He shows us his ways. We learn his ways, and then things start getting easier in that way. But we then stopped Seek, we stopped seeking him. We had to rely on him in that place. But then when things start flowing a little bit easier in your life, come on, we love the grace of Jesus Christ, don't we? We love his grace. But grace is not a crutch. Grace, grace is to help you grow. It's to help you change. Come on, does this make any sense today? But we could walk into a place of grace and just take it easy. Come on, right? And what happens? <laughs> what happens when we take it easy? 
again, I'd love to get into this, and I probably will in the next weeks, but I'm just previewing what they're about to do, and this is why I previewed it, because this is what he says. He says, Joshua, my promise is with you, verse 5, no one will be against you, I'll be with you. You know that God does not leave us, ever. doesn't matter where you go. It means if you leave here and you decide to go to a strip club, which I highly, uh, uh, what's the right word? Um, discourage is the right word from you from doing God doesn't leave you you just left him you left him he doesn't leave you God never leaves us but it is up to us to stay with him and that's that place of intimacy I just want to just keep bridging from these last weeks that place from there to here the place of intimacy that God wants with us in him he will never leave us we have to stay with him. And that's what he tells Joshua here. He says, listen, I will be with you. Are we okay, church? I will be with you, verse 5. As I was with Moses, I will not. And you know when God says something, he means it. I will not fail you or abandon you. And God didn't. So many times we get into stuff in our lives and we say, God, you failed me. God, you abandoned me. God says, no, I told you which way to go and you went your own way. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Verse 6, be strong and courageous. We love these verses, but we need to understand why. he. This is chapter 1. Why did he give him these verses that I'm about to preach? Because of what was to come. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. And the Lord you know, wants to give us the same exact promise. In fact, Hebrews tells us that Joshua couldn't fully give them the promise, the rest. Moses couldn't, Joshua couldn't because of the lack of Christ's blood on the cross. But it says to us in Hebrews to enter that rest. The very promise that they were striving to get to, Jesus provided for us. We are called as his believers to walk in his promise. We are alive. And now this gets tricky to explain. It's not tricky to understand in your spirit, but that does not mean when we say promise that you will have all of the world's goods. Because what Christ shows us is, and what he showed us in his own life, remember I've been saying it these last weeks, is that Jesus said to his disciples, the woman at the well, you must be starving. He says, I'm not hungry because I have food you don't know of. I have a sustenance. I have a life. I have a vision that you don't understand. I'm looking heaven bound. I'm looking at the kingdom. I'm looking bigger than you are. And I'm not hungry. I'm not thirsty because I have the life of God in me. So the promise is not stuff. The promise is walking in God, walking with God. It may come. Some have it. In fact, we can look in Matthew 25. I had, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And in that chunk of scripture, he says that he gives them gifts according to their abilities, that means each person is different. And what we cannot do as Christians is look at one Christian to the other. We cannot gauge their stuff by another person's stuff and say, they entered the promise 
and there in the wilderness because you have no idea. Because the promise in the wilderness is not stuff. I need to state that so strong. Because as soon as we start talking about Joshua and promise, if you've been around Christianity, you've been around the block, it says, okay, here comes our stuff. And that's not the promise. That's not the rest that God wants us to enter into. It's a place in him. There is a place in God where you no longer need it. And he just gives it to you anyway. You don't need it anymore. And he just gives it to you. And you don't, now you don't look at each other and you don't gauge anymore. You just don't. You don't care. And in fact, not only that, when the Lord says to give it away, you do that as well. Come on. Amen. amen. I want you to live in the promise. I want you to possess, verse 6, I want you to possess all that I swore to your ancestors. The Lord wants you to possess all that he swore to give us. And it was something that they weren't even capable of doing, but they had to start. The process began here. It began. The process began, and Jesus was on the way. Amen for us. Thank you, Lord. But he says, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be careful. Everybody say, be careful. And this is where I just want to stay here until we close. I just want to hang here now. All of that to get here. It says, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. We have, this is a young church, and I love that. So I don't have to come against too many foreign weird doctrines that grew in the last generations. But there is this, there is a doctrine that says that the law of Moses is everything God ever said up until Jesus was born, which is so wildly crazy. The law that we're freed from when the New Testament talks about it and Paul goes on and on and on in all of his books to say we're freed from the law is not the law of I cannot murder. I cannot commit adultery. I, I still have to honor God. I can't lie. I can't steal. Those laws we were never freed from, just so you know. If you are not clear, and anybody listening to me out there on the airwaves, we were not freed from those laws. What he freed us from, the law of religion. The letter of the law that says you can't wear linen and cotton. You guys didn't know that one. Can't wear those two fabrics together. Who had bacon today? I did. You couldn't do that before. We were freed from those things, religious things, but moral law passed through to Jesus. This is for somebody. Maybe it's no one in this room. I just need to say it because maybe someone's listening out there. Maybe they're going to listen in a year from now. I don't know. I needed to state that. There is... When we read this, a lot of people say, well, we don't need to obey the instructions of Moses, so this verse doesn't apply to me. Well, that's funny because technically the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, and I don't remember those going out the window, unless you're okay with murdering. We come up with really stupid stuff as people, don't we, <laughs> sometimes? We need to go back to the Bible and just stop being weird. Stop thinking we know better. We get off because we get, take away the deity of Christ and we start twisting the word. And we just start twisting it in any way. I mean, all the new Christian faiths, there's, I can hear a new, a, new one, a new one every other day, a new sect of it, right? Who has met someone in, your, in the mall or in a store 
tell, asking you if you know the mother of God. You have. Anybody else? Come, someone come up to you. They're, they're witnessing strong. Actually, I commend their witnessing. It's just a false religion, but they have some tenacity. Came up to me and separate times, come up to me and Dawn, and I've heard it more than once. Mother of God, there's like two verses, two mystery verses that they anchor and into. They throw away Jesus, not that he doesn't exist, but they throw away his deity. They throw away God the Father, and, they, and it's all now about this mother because there's two mystery verses in the Bible, Genesis and Revelation, about the mother, about the wife. Weird, right? Let's look at the context of the entire word. Remember this word, context. Context. How many uh, have you were raised with philosophies and theologies, even in the church, that when, when you read the word yourself and read the whole chapter or the whole book, you said, wow, that was a little out of context. But I thought it was true because they taught it so well. He said, be careful to obey, everybody say, all. This is so important, to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do you know God has a way? <laughs> God's way is his way. I, we don't have time, but you should just read. I want you to go home your homework while you're reading Joshua. and Just read a little bit about 1 Kings, the prophets coming and going. And you just start seeing that God has a way. And you don't do it his way. God has a way <laughs> of dealing with it. But God has a way. And he said to him, he said, do, I love how the NLT translates this here in verse 7, do not deviate. You may know it as don't turn from the left or the right. Do not deviate. God's path is a narrow path. It's the narrow path that leads to life and few find it, but broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction or death. It's easy to walk the world's way. It is hard to walk God's way, but Jesus will help you do it, and the Holy Spirit is in you to help you. It is hard, and yet if we stay close to him, it's not hard anymore, is it? It's only hard because we keep looking. We keep looking into the world. We keep setting our own desires, our own plans. I was just thinking of this morning, and I'm going to, you guys take this with a grain of salt, but I just started thinking about this concept. Don't think I'm harsh, because sometimes I think harsh, and I say things that other people don't hear it in their minds like I hear it in my own, so it sounds 10 times even, 10 times harsher when it comes out, but it's just an idea that I've, okay, Lord, I get that. The Lord doesn't care about your dream. Wow, that was harsh. He doesn't care about your dream, but he has a dream for you. I'm tired of hearing what is your dream. The Lord wants to help you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want to help you with your dream. The Lord has a dream that he fashioned up before, the Bible says before the world began, Jesus was with the Father. Kingdom. God has a dream, and it's called kingdom. It's called lay your life down. <laughs> wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are we talking about here? Lay on my life down. Pick up your cross and follow me. 
And then his way, his way is just a better way. His dream is real. Your dream is a facade. I love that there are athletes and businessmen and politicians that love God. But what we must not do is look at their life, which might be a very specific story for them, and say, well, they've attained their dream in God. We cannot do that. I've been just thinking, I've been reading some books and by some guys that are famous, and they've written so many books, and God has blessed them so much. And I was doing gutters this week. Just a little guy in a little town, a little nowhere. And yet, I have this encounter with this guy and just share the Lord with this guy. And 100% Jewish, served in the temple as a cantor for 23 years, served in the temple for 30 years, and I'm just sharing Jesus with him. And nobody in any church, in any book, would ever get to him because he said, you're going to punch me, but Christianity is a well-thought-up science fiction story. So I'm not going to punch you. You're not going to offend me. And I just talked with him, but he kept coming back outside. <laughs> he kept leaving, kept coming back out. 86 years old. And I said, he said, I'm mad at God because look what he's done to me. His body's breaking down. I said, God didn't do that to your body. Sin did. I don't believe in that anymore, he said. I said, what he's showing you is that this place is not it. He's going to come to this church. He promised me. He took down the address and everything. 30 years in the temple and he wants to come visit. But that wouldn't have happened if I said, well, in order to be, for me to enter the promise and like to walk with God and to attain it, I got to be this writer, this book writer and this preacher out there. And you don't. We need to be who God's called us to be. Right where he's called you to be. The promise is something that is internal. It's something you just live in and walk in. And it's everywhere with everybody that you encounter. Jesus walked in it, and he was not afraid to sit with one person. Come on, amen. Maybe this is going over a lot of heads, some of that stuff, but I just, I grew up in this like giant-headed, um, uh, uh, arrogant Christianity, and I'm tired of it. We need to get back to the humility of God. We need to come back to his, to his ways. Don't deviate. Just stay with you, Lord God. It doesn't matter where, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter when, because this is temporary. He's just been reminding me again this week of how temporary this is. This is not permanent, and you are not meant to establish your kingdom here. He warns us that if you try to establish your kingdom here, what happens? That's what they do in Joshua. You can read the story. They go in and start trying to establish their, worship their own gods, do their own thing, and they paid a great price. And we'll look at that in other weeks. Back to this. He says, do not deviate from turning either to the left, the right or to the left. It says, then what? Then you will be successful in everything you do. Thank you, Gavin, for your participation. <laughs> Gold star. He just got a gold star in his participation. His grade, participation. 30% of your grade is participation. Everybody else has got a 70. 
You will be successful. Who wants to be successful? See, this is the thing. It's like, and I've been saying this, I've been saying these lines, everything in God is fine lines. We walk in grace, and yet we don't take grace for granted. It's not a license. We walk in success, and yet the world's success is not the same as God's success. You see all these fine lines. And yet he wants you to be successful. God does not want you to be a failure. But sometimes the world calls you a failure and you are succeeding. You know, the world would call me a failure. I'm not offended. They, Christians would call this little church a failure because in three and a half years, this is it. And I'm like, well, this is who we are. This is the group that we are. I'm excited. <laughs> and I love this group. And you are individuals that Jesus loves and I love. Imagine I had the world's model. Can you believe this? The world's model? You know, the, the church today brings in the world and consults. This is behind the scenes. They have cons consultation meetings with worldly people that are good at growing things and, su and success. Sometimes, listen, the Lord loves people so much that he will still use that ministry even though at its heart is a rotten core. I'm serious. But he still loves people, so he still uses it because some, you might have gotten saved through a ministry that God didn't even start, but because he loves people, he used it to save you. And that's, so that'll be between him and them, whoever they are, him or her and, the, and God one day. But God says, if you, if you send one of my little ones, if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, you better go deal with things yourself first because when I get to you, it ain't going to be pretty. But we need success. We need to be successful in him. And there's only one way to achieve success, and that is to stay close to God, to be careful to stay close to him, not turning. He said, verse 8, it says, study this book of instruction continually. The King James says, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I keep starting a statement and then I don't finish it. I believe that great men and women of God that have walked away from their faith, they got to a place with God, they entered the promise, they crossed the Jordan, the wilderness is over, the freedom of God came, grace came, the stuff came, because sometimes God just starts giving it because he loves you. That's not attaining God, but he just gives it. And then that took their heart they left all this behind. They forgot what he warned us when we cross over. When you cross over, they forgot to stay close to him. And they started just living in the promise instead of with the promiser. Well, we got to say that again. That was the Holy Spirit. They tried to live in the promise instead of with the promiser. We get weird. We get off. Meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it day and night. This Hebrew word here, it means to mutter, to mumble. You just constantly are speaking 
to God, speaking his praises, thanking him. And then when someone else hears you, it's just life out of you. What are we speaking? What are we meditating on? Are we meditating on him in our prayer times and then meditating for the other 23.9 hours of the day? Uh, so, sorry. 23.95 is what I meant, hours of the day. Are we meditating on our dream, our success? It's such a fine line, God's success and our success. What is his success? Did Jesus achieve success when he died at 33 years old? 33? He got robbed. Because 33 can't possibly be successful. That can't be enough. What about Peter when he gave his life on a cross just like Jesus? Did he achieve success? Or did he fail? Sometimes our picture of success and God's picture of success is a little bit different. But it says that when we live like this, you will, and I love this, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard this preached so many times. It says, you, everybody say you, will make your own way prosperous. God doesn't even have to make anything prosperous for you. God doesn't even have to prosper you. You get into him and you do it his way. You live like that. What your meditation is. Listen, if I'm meditating on dinner, meditating on lunch, the next thing I'm going to do is go have lunch. Everybody starts meditating on lunch about now. So that's their next action. Your meditations will create your actions. If our meditation is his word, is his kingdom, is Jesus, then what will your actions be? It's going to be kingdom. Man, I could go so many different directions. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Just you're so good, Lord. We just thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're leading us and you have given us, Lord, so much life. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We need to do it God's way because what happens is we think we know best, but God knows best, doesn't he? He tells him in Joshua chapter 3, he says in Joshua 3, he warned him in Joshua 1, and then Joshua goes through and tells the people what God told him. And then in Joshua 3, it says, verse 3, uh, When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, move out from your positions and follow them. Verse 4, Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Do you know that every single day is somewhere you've never been before? Every single day. Doesn't matter how many times you've been to that place. In fact, they say that the most, come on, you know the statistic, the most common accidents, highest statistic of accident is when you are within two miles of where you always are, your home, or a place that you always go to. It's usually within two miles, the highest percentage, because we get into autopilot. 
It's human nature to get into autopilot and to just go with the flow, get in the motions. We cannot lead ourselves. Do you know that? But we do all the time. I laugh. Dawn's going to not like this, but she'll laugh with me. Dawn has the worst sense of direction, but, but a lot of people do, so she can't get offended. Every guy who's ever worked with me also has the worst sense of direction. They have no idea where we are ever in my box truck. We just have no idea. I was like, what? Weren't we here yesterday? This is like an hour away. But Dawn will say to me, this way feels right. This way doesn't feel right. She has said those exact words. This doesn't feel right. Like, well, it is right. Doesn't matter what you feel. We feel a lot of things, you know that? We can't be led by feelings. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. That's why we put the GPS on and we trust it. There's something greater than us, greater than our intuition, greater than our sense of direction. We put that on and say, you know what? This doesn't feel right, but I think it knows. I think the GPS, there's a, who's ever seen The Office? There's an episode where Michael decides to follow. The, this is the one time, you know, the GPS, you know, sometimes they do make glitches. The GPS was taking him right into the lake. The passenger says, there's a lake right in front of us. And he's like, no, the GPS says this is the way and will not listen to the passenger and drives right into the lake. <laughs> That's good, clean humor right there. It's funny, but the GPS is usually right. God's spirit is right. And as we look into Joshua and look into the story, we need to see that we need to stay close to him every single day. I heard this, and I'll close with this. I heard this amazing uh, analogy yesterday, and I started looking into this. There is this concept. It's called spatial D for short, or spatial disorientation, or spatial unawareness. And I just happened to hear this just quickly on the radio, and I said, wow, Lord, that's what an amazing picture. It's the inability to determine one's position, location, and motion relative to their environment. So this happens to pilots often. They get into this spatial D, and it's basically when... Uh, their air crew's sensory interpretation, everybody say, my interpretation, of their position or motion conflicts with reality. This is unbelievable. So I have the whole thing here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically, to sum it up, pilots flying. And if you have the sun in front of you, uh, you know, the horizon is really is their best bearing, either before them or in front of them, right? They have some, a bearing. But what happens is, if they lose that, you don't even know. You're ready. This is crazy. I didn't realize. You might even, you can even fly upside down and not know it. You're moving at the right speed. You're in your seat. You know, it's pulling you enough that gravity is out the window now. It has nothing to do with gravity. You're moving with a different force. And in fact, it says... Um, that it says, anyone in an aircraft that is making a coordinated turn, no matter how steep, will have little or no sensation of being tilted in the air. You don't even know. You cannot feel it. Come on, we cannot feel our way. 
We cannot just look around and say, come on, this is what happens. In Joshua, they start looking around. This is how the world worships. This is what the world does. This is what their families do. This is what you have to do. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to save here. You got to save there. You have to trip. You got to make a trip here at least once in your life. Once a year, you got to go here. Come on, we're laughing, but it's all the same. The world says what you need to do, and, and the sense of reality goes away. And in fact, it says... It's possible to gradually climb or descend without a noticeable change in pressure against the seat. And as I said, some aircrafts can even, without, uh, they can even be upside down without being aware of it. And this is because of gradual change in any direction of movement may not be strong enough to activate the fluid in their vegetable system, right? We all have had that inner ear where your head gets messed up on the roller coaster, right? It's so slow. Come on, we get off so slow. This is why. You look and say, how did that great minister get off? It was one day at a time. It was one skipped reading. Come on, it started with one skipped reading. I've read that before. Oh, my scheduled reading. I read the Bible each year, right? My scheduled readings, Joshua. I've read this story. I know this story. It starts off so slow, and it says that what happens is that if you just keep going, and it says, the gradual change in direction and movement may not be strong enough to activate in the system so that the pilot may not realize that the aircraft is accelerating, decelerating, or banking. In fact, uh, just going on, it says that the pilot, if he's not proficient in the use of a gyroscopic flight instruments, these errors will build, the errors will build up to a point that control of the aircraft is lost, usually in a steep diving turn known as a graveyard spiral. I think the Holy Spirit wrote this Wikipedia. A graveyard spiral, he starts spiraling. In fact, that's how JFK Jr. died. When I saw this, I was like, I mean, like a, he probably had a decent pilot, considering who he was. Huh? He was the pilot. So he was the flying the plane. He was probably a decent pilot being who he was. <laughs> JFK Jr. got into a graveyard spiral. It says, during the time leading up to and well into the maneuver, the pilot remains unaware that he is turning, believing that he is maintaining straight flight. He believes that he's making, he's flying straight. He believes. So they just start turning, and they're in a constant, and it builds up until the plane, you can't get out of it. It just sucks you in and kills you. We need to get so close to him. It's not enough. We need more of God. We need more of the Spirit of God. Do not quit. Do not give up. And we're going to look at that these weeks ahead. We went into a fast, which was incredible. I believe God broke some things in the fast, did some things in our hearts, and it's not uncommon. In fact, it's every single time, as soon as the fast ends, we all go back to sleep. It's just very, very easy to do. We need to be proactive. We need to stay close. We need to make sure. It's said at 0 0.02 degrees. I didn't read that because there's just so much information there. A 0 0.02 degree turn is all it takes with enough time, right? I remember learning about rockets going to, you know, learning about how important math is as a kid, that if the scientists had those rockets off by, you know, millions or whatever it is, even probably beyond, 
by tenfold of an inch, they would miss their target completely because it's so far. The Lord's got far to take us. We need to get straight now. We start inching away from him little by little. We don't even know it. And all of a sudden, we get into a graveyard spiral and say, how did I get here? It started by not staying close to him one day at a time. And there's so much more that can be said. Let's just pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. Lord, you have not failed us yet. You have not abandoned us. You do have a plan. You have a plan and a purpose for us. You have a dream for us, Lord. It's not ours. We lay our lives down and we, Lord, we strive to enter into that place of rest where your dream is fulfilled, where your plan is fulfilled, where the kingdom of God, Lord, an eternal kingdom, not a temporary kingdom is grown. We get close to you now, Lord, and we stay close to you, Lord. We choose to stay close to you, Lord, every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.